Blurred up, blurred up. Welcome to the show where we talk about nerd culture from a BPOV, a black POV. You can find us on Facebook at B-L-E-R-D-U-P. We are on Instagram at B-L-E-R-D period U-P. And we are on Twitter at B-L-E-R-D. You find us also on Blurred.com, our partners, a great website full of nerdy content from a black cultural lens. They actually have some really cool merch these days. Check it out. One actually inspired by our very own Mel. And I am your host, Brendan. And I'm joined by Jade again. I know. When you guys are sick of me, just tell them I'll stop coming. No, we're, no, we're even having a great time. Stop. <laughs> um, before we start today's show, which will be about the latest episode of Lovecraft Country, I am, I have to make a correction. I said on the previous show that Xbox 360 outsold the PS3. However, that was not the complete picture. The article... I read that from referenced U.S. sales, not worldwide. So data is a little muddled, but the PS3 did outsell the Xbox worldwide by about three or so million units. For a long time, the 360 was outside the PS3, but by the end of that generation, Sony pulled ahead in 2013. Speaking of console wars, let's go back to the original war with Nintendo and Sega. And Sega! <laughs> in the new CBS Access documentary, Console Wars, based on the book, Console Wars, Sega, Nintendo, and the Battle That Defined a Generation. Now, this was written by Blake J. Harris, who also shares directing credits for this. This was produced by Seth Rogen and his partner, Evan Goldberg, who also produced Preacher on AMC, Amazon's The Boys, which I would love to get into, but no one has seen it. I'll start watching it, actually, during Chuseok. It's on my to-do list. And for those who don't know, Chuseok is Korean Thanksgiving. We have five days off. More time than our job gave us. Praise the Lord. And we can't go anywhere. Nope. <laughs> so that, that Coronavirus. It's getting real. And yes, of course, um, Seth Rogen's company, they're also producing the upcoming Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle reboot, which I'm excited about. But anyway, back to this documentary. This is... An extremely fun take on the David versus Goliath battle when Sega was just a company starting out looking to compete with Nintendo, who at that point owned 95% of the video game market share. Did you know that? I knew that they pretty much were the big dogs. I didn't know how much they owned, but yeah. I knew it was just like Nintendo and nothing else. That number <laughs> is staggering yeah. compared to where we are now, right? Yeah. Not only that, they would strong arm retailers like Walmart not to sell their competitors' products or else they wouldn't give them their own product. Right. Did you own any of these old systems? I did. So funny, guys, I don't take notes, but I actually took notes this time. Because um, as I was watching the console wars, I was thinking about all the consoles that I actually owned. So <laughs> I made a list, okay? <laughs> I had the NES. I had the original Nintendo. Okay. And the games I loved were the Duck Hunt and Donkey Kong. So I loved Dunk Hunt. My dad got the little the gun attachment, and yeah. I would play it all the time. And then me being the spoiled bread I am, I wanted a Game Boy because my older cousins had a Game Boy, and I wanted it too. So I played Street Fighter and Kirby on that. And then, Kirby was dope on the Game Boy. Yes. And then... <laughs> Of course, like the NES was getting old, so I got the Super Nintendo, mm-hmm. where I would play Mario mm-hmm. and Kirby again. 
And then I kind of like fell off it. I kind of like was over it. And I remember they gave the Super Nintendo to my older cousins because mm. they would come to visit. Um, this was when, in Miami. And they would always come to visit us in Miami. And they would they would basically take over because I was the only girl with 10 boys. So growing up for me, it was uh, either play with Barbie dolls by yourself in the corner or play video games and read comic books with us. Um, so I gave that to them. And then after that, my dad got the Sega Genesis which I played Sonic the Hedgehog, Streets mm. of Rage, and Mortal Kombat on. Um, and then he got me and my brother, because he had a child from a previous relationship, and he moved in with us like uh, in his teen years, and then he got us a PlayStation. So that's where we played Grand Theft Auto, Metal Gear, Tomb Raider, and Spyro, which my brother would always give me shit about, but then I'd always hear him playing it. Spyro was dope. Come on <laughs> Spyro now. was freaking dope. Yeah. <laughs> I'd always hear him playing it. And then I grew up and got over it. <laughs> but at the end of this, I realized how much freaking money did my parents spend on all those consoles? Right. Dude. You kind of forget how expensive they were. Yo. I mean, we talk about, about price now. But if you adjust for inflation, things are pretty expensive back then, too. Yeah. I got the OG NES system when I was around four or five. So I didn't have that like, oh, my God, I got a new system feeling. Yeah. Until I got the Genesis in the early Same. 90s. And watching this documentary brought back so much nostalgia with home videos of kids opening Christmas presents and freaking out over getting a new console. And we actually have a clip for that. So my eight-year-old would kill for one. As kids, we always thought Sega was always there. But even though this is, an, this is an adaptation of a whole book, this film is quite revealing about its struggles, its strikingly bold marketing choices, yes, game creation. And of course, we know that in the end, Sega lost. But this film also details why. Yeah. Uh, for example, an unfortunate choice allowed Nintendo to get the N64 technology instead of Sega. We literally could have had a Sega 64. Yeah. Instead of the terribly overpriced and poorly made Sega Saturn. Sega might have been able to stay in the race, if not beat Nintendo outright, because they were outselling them with the Genesis for a time. Sega considered teaming up with Sony before they made the PlayStation. Can you imagine the gaming landscape yeah. right now? I was Sony shocked when I saw that. And Sega were in an exclusive partnership since the mid-90s? Yeah. When I saw that, I like paused because like, I had no idea yeah. that they linked up and they were like, okay, well, we have this technology. You have this like kind of like hands-on and the, the marketing and the yeah. software. Let's get together and do this. I'm like, that would have been amazing. Incredible. <laughs> A PlayStation 2 with the software of the Dreamcast would have... That would have been crazy. I mean, the PS2 was already the best-selling console of all time, but yeah. they would have just crushed i don't want to spoil too many surprises that the film has but i will briefly touch on the aspects that make it a really effective watch so number one there are real retro clips from that era and i already mentioned the home videos however some of the coolest material came from the old advertisements that i had that i guess we had both long forgotten you already yeah. mentioned the the the, the sega the sega scream yeah <laughs> and we have a clip for that too it's really cool but I don't think it would have worked without the Sega Scream. The Sega Scream was what really drove the thing in the end. Sega! There was something about the way the guy did it Sega! that was just really funny. Sega! It was slightly Japanese. Sega! Just absolutely you couldn't get it out of your head. Two, 
They interviewed former executives on both sides to add more weight to the narrative, and they had some fun personalities. They did. Yeah. Especially on the Sega side. Oh, for sure. Yeah. The, Which, I mean, makes sense, because Sega was the cool They console. were the cool one, yeah. <laughs> side note, didn't it say in the, in the documentary that Sega was the first game company to have a female executive? He did. They mentioned it. Yeah. I, I couldn't think of a female on Nintendo's side, so I had to research that. You know, Shigeru Miyamoto... Reggie fils who retired, and um, Iwata were always the face of Nintendo. It turns out Aya Kyogoku was the first female director of a Nintendo video game in 2012, and she did Animal Crossing New Leaf. And in 2019, she was named as manager of Nintendo Entertainment Planning and Development Production Group Number 5. And she also was the director for the newest Animal Crossing game that's been selling, like, I think it's the best-selling game of the year so far. I kept hearing about it forever, and I haven't gotten into it, but I know that it's pretty popular. Oh, yeah. And and she was pretty integral in trying to hire more women after she got into, so shout-out to her. And shout-out to Microsoft, who hired a a black woman executive, uh, Mm. Sarah Bond, as the head of partnerships with Microsoft, Mm. or with Xbox. But anyway, I would have loved to see those Sega people at like modern conventions, like really like get like showing their personalities out. That'd been really awesome. For sure. I don't think we really thought about executives having personality until Reggie. Reggie came out in two thousand, I want to say two thousand four, and he pulled out the DS and he was like, "Yo, I'm Reggie, and I'm all about kicking ass and taking names." I don't remember Reggie. He was. I mean, he was. He was. He was a G, and he's black. I'm trying to. I don't remember Reggie. <laughs> My name is Reggie, I'm about kicking ass, I'm about taking names, and we're about making games. I remember just being in college like, wow, this is a new age. I think that's probably because that's when, so like around like end of middle school, beginning of high school, yeah. I was over gaming. Got it. So like, yeah, like my um, my brother and like my cousins, like all the boys, they were still on it. And of course I like would hang out with them and like watch for a little bit, maybe play, but I was like over all of it. I'm just like, yeah, I'm moving on to other things. No, Reggie was a G, man. <laughs> Good old Reggie. Where's Reggie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, if those Sega guys were there, I think they would have really spiced it up. Like, For sure. As you were talking about, they were going for a different market, the teen market. Mm-hmm. You know, Nintendo was kind of that Disney image and they were going for that that older demographic. Yeah. Who like blood and gore. Yeah, exactly. You know, the famous, you know, Mortal Kombat they had only green goo in the I Super Nintendo game. I didn't know that because I had the second, so I didn't know that there was green goo. <laughs> no, same. Know. I also, yeah, I also had Mortal Kombat 2, Street Fighter 2, and Sonic were my three mm. Genesis games, yeah. I had a Genesis over Super Nintendo. My, my cousin had that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and number three, as the interviewees are telling their stories, they are sometimes animated in 16-bit graphics. Yeah. So there's cool. there's one where... There's an executive headhunt to two executives almost having a fist fight in the street. <laughs> and there was one where they were like in like a sewage dump and they were trying to, they visualize navigating a difficult si- situation uh, to that, yeah, like, yeah. like a video game. That was really cool. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was cool. So what this film did for me, um, besides like just kind of bring back all this nostalgia and like, um, it just re cemented, like it cemented for me just the importance of marketing specifically and how, like, even when it came to Sega hired um, 
like a small time company essentially to do like all those commercials that we remember from our childhood. Right. Um, and they just had this great idea for it, which of course like it, it pushed a movement and it like pushed a generation to be like, man, screw that Nintendo. I'm onto the Sega right now. Yeah. And it just really just speaks volumes of how like that marketing can do. And just even like the way that they were very thought out about like how to get back into re- retail against Nintendo, even though they were being kind of like strong arming um, big box stores. So for me, I just really enjoyed that aspect of it, just seeing all the behind the scenes of how they figured things out. There was one point, not to spoil anything, but there was one point where the female executive mentioned, she said, we never had the money to get like the big Hollywood faces for us. But she's like, we did have the money for the teen stars. And I was, <laughs> and something that could be seen as small actually pushed, like I remember I remember that day. I remember. <laughs> so yeah. for her to just be like, yeah, we didn't have that money, but we had the money for these kids. It's like, girl, because you had those kids, I paid attention. Exactly. <laughs> so, Like, who was big in the early 90s that we would have cared about, like, on in the A-listers? Like, right. Arnold? Thank you. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah, really. But, yeah, you get that cat from Blossom. Right. You Joey know? Lawrence, yeah. John Taylor Thomas. Yeah. I mean, I'm in. <laughs> I'm here for it. The dude from uh, Saved by the Bell. Yeah. <laughs> screech yeah (laughs) i'm down (laughs) and bringing it to the present it's that arrogance that nintendo had that was their undoing for a long time yeah and so we talked in the last show about sony's current arrogance and how i also think that because of that they could get unseated or at least Mm. similar to the xbox 360 ps3 race get a lot closer than the previous generation with the ps2 and the xbox and this current generation i think this current war it's going to be a lot closer than people think, or especially Sony fans. Yeah, I also thought it was interesting um, that they talked about um, Sega of America and Sega of Japan. Oh yeah, um, and just how there was just they they butt they butted heads, just to put it bluntly. Yeah, and I just working here in an Asian country, I totally get why they butted heads, and I can understand why Sony, uh, sorry, uh, Sega of. America could not understand. I could totally get why they're just like, but no, this is how we have to do it, guys. This is the plan. And for Japan, I'm like, no, we're not doing that. I don't want to do that. Figure something out. I can totally get like the frustration just viewing that as an expat living abroad and seeing how culturally things are done. So exactly, yeah, that was really interesting for me. And just seeing SOA, Sega America, actually do better than Sega Japan. Because for those who don't know, even though... Sega is a Japanese company. The Genesis was not selling well in Japan. Mm. It started selling much better in America. And that kind of brewed tension and, and jealousy. As you said, they started to just say no to things and start undermining them. And that was their own undoing. America's the Harlem of the world. <laughs> Harlem shakes it, everybody takes it. <laughs> My only criticism of this film, I have two. Number one, the end feels a little rushed. It does. As they introduced Sony into this. And there was a lot I wanted to explore during the Dreamcast era, which was my favorite era for Sega. But unfortunately, there was enough time for that. And maybe it's in the book. Also, this is a very white American-centered story. Very. With the exception of one Japanese man, who I liked. He, he was really cool. Hotel. Yeah, he's he's cute. <laughs> I would have liked to have heard from Sega and Nintendo of Japan executives. For sure. To really kind of bounce that out. Like, yeah. What did they think about this? Do they have any any regrets? Like, yeah, I did that, but maybe I should have done this. Or, oh, these guys are totally lying. Like, right. you know, who knows? So, anyway, I thought it was a great film. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, check it out, it. guys. Let's move on to... 
what we care about. <laughs> oh, oh, hey, come I'm on I'm just now. kidding. I'm oh, just kidding. Oh. I'm just kidding. Don't don't hurt me. <laughs> Episode seven. Yes. I am. This is the reason why I took notes, because Hippolyta deserves it. We finally got an episode with her. I mean, we knew it was coming. We just had to be patient. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it arrived right on time. I mean, right on time, because Breonna Taylor still needs justice right on time. Like Letty, I was worried that a cool character like her was going to get pushed to the sidelines in efforts to promote the main protagonist. From the jump, she had such charisma mm-hmm. and aspirations. You could you could feel something deep within her mm. from that just from that bedroom scene with George. Yeah, that's when we first meet her. Yeah, and you you just feel something just wanting to get out. She lamented not being able to travel like her husband. She told her daughter about naming comets. She was blurting out with her dad. And I've always been like, I just want more of her. Mm. I would honestly love a spinoff show just about her life, like how she grew up. Mm-hmm. I think black people, women and men, would really benefit from a show like that. You know, seeing a woman grow up through that adversity and still kind of keep that flame, but mm. also men seeing how to encourage that because it seems like her father really encourages her to be whoever she wants to be Mm. and i really like that and it sucks that we can't see him i would also love an alternate timeline where she got to be herself from the very beginning without shrinking herself which we'll get to a little bit later Mm -hmm. um i just want to start from the very beginning just from the opposite Wow. I'm sorry. <laughs> From the very beginning, because like I said, I got notes. So like, let's talk about Ruby. Yeah. Ruby so let's and just, let's just talk about Are we shipping them now? Um do we okay. So Ruby and Christina, how I feel about Ruby and Christina is that um it just shows I ship them a like a small percentage of me is very like lesbian love yes but then the majority of me is like this just shows how white people will utilize people of color to get an end result for their own means Mm. and christina from the from the offset and through has been manipulating ruby uh, as she's been manipulating everybody in that family and ruby has every right to kind of be cautious of christina what hurts me is that ruby is a black woman and she is vulnerable and she's not seeing past that and not seeing those red flags and as much as christina can tell her of the truth cuz i think like it kind of left us off in a place where she's like well it starts with like my family and your family and then it kind of left us there with their conversation i don't know if christina told ruby all of the truth and everything that's going on I sincerely doubt it because telling her the complete truth is will not get her to her personal end goal. Um, and then also, I just want to say that I was right about how they make a net potion, but that that's another conversation. Oh, that's true. You're right. You're right. I was right. I just want to say that. I just want to say that. You're right. I wonder, mm. and we'll get to this later about Hippolyta freeing herself. I'm looking at Ruby looking at a different way to possibly free herself from her past status or just way of life through this white woman. Like, what do you mean? I mean, she felt free when she... Was a white woman. Well, that, but also when she just messed up that that man, too. I mean, she was herself as she did that. She Mm -hmm. wasn't white anymore. Mm -hmm. So she has kind of a new... She's she's obtained kind of a new level of consciousness in a sense, maybe. Mm -hmm. And we don't know what else she could obtain through Christina. And I'm still, honestly, I'm still kind of unsure 
about Christina's motives. I mean, yeah, she is using people, but she also seems to have some sort of white liberal Whoa. concern or something for them, maybe? No? Whoa, I know. No, 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 no. And I mean, we talked about it in the last conversation that we had about white liberals. Mm-hmm. They're the main ones who do things that are problematic. And so her white liberalism that I think you're feeling is white feminism. That's what I'm seeing. Of I'm course. Seeing, I mean, I'm yeah, not, that's exactly what yeah, I mean. Yeah, I'm seeing that. And white feminism for me is toxic. Like, And like, I totally agree with you. Yeah. What I'm wondering is every character is getting some development. I'm wondering if she's going to develop somehow with that too. That's, that's Who, kinda, Ruby? No, no, Christina and, and mm. Ruby, both. Okay. I mean, oh, you're saying like maybe she'll grow past... Her toxicity. Exactly. Oh. And, I, you know, I don't want to be like, it's happening, but I'm wondering if it could go down that route. Yeah, when it comes to white people, I doubt it. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm it's, so it's, sorry. It's cool. <laughs> it's sorry. cool. No, you good. Just going to keep it 100. When it comes to white people, I'm like, yeah. I mean, there are, there are white people and there are people who happen to be white. And Christina's a white person. <laughs> okay. I've never heard that before. But You've I, never I, heard that? No, I like that, though. Amanda Seals said that. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's let's go on to uh, Letty here. Letty's Letty's pregnant. And water is wet. Who didn't know this girl was not going to get pregnant? Who did not know? I'm so surprised. (laughs) I don't, I still don't understand sex scenes in shows like this. They went through the trouble of showing that she was on her period, but they don't go through the the basics of pulling out. I mean, I'm, yeah, I mean, we, we, yeah, I knew she was going to end up pregnant. That's, and it, again, I still feel like Tick is using her. I mean, that whole embrace that they had at the table. What was that, my man? Like, you're feeling bad, so you need her to make you feel better, and then you push her away when you got shit to do and you want to talk about... Like, it's all about your agenda. That's what... Like, later on, in the, like, later on when Hippolyta tells him to move, like, move! I was like, yes, the world ain't about you. Okay? <laughs> Sorry. What uh, is this relationship? Trash and a half. <laughs> Made me so upset. Yeah, not good. Speaking of <laughs> not good, Montrose, man. First, I just want to address Montrose waking up and Sammy making this breakfast mm-hmm. to music from the era. <laughs> it's what I've wanted the entire time. Shut up. Let me experience what music <laughs> they would be listening to Boy, at the time. You Google it. <laughs> you know, Shangela, Shangela, in the last show, we talked mm. about her getting a better understanding of the slice of life of queer culture at the time. Mm. But give me the basic stuff too. I don't have to always go to the big balls and the crazy makeup uh, preparation stuff. Like mm. what, are, what are you all listening to at the time? What are you yeah. all reading? Like what, what really drives you here? I mean, I thought the song was just fine. I don't know what it was, but it was fine. Like what was this, what was this gay guy listening to at the time? Just casually making eggs and bacon. Imagine him walking into the room with like a Tyler the Creator instrumental. It's like, I, I don't need all that. <laughs> no. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Even when Hippolyta uh, was driving to the coordinates in, in mm. Mayfield, as you said, we heard what she liked to listen to. Mm. And it was Josephine Baker, right? Mm. I mean, she was, I want to get into their heads. What do they like we can go to the actual drama of Montrose and Sammy now but Mm. I just wanted to mention that. point out how you enjoy that yeah I understand that yeah Sammy and Montrose they I mean I had a feeling Montrose was going to push Sammy away once like the quote-unquote reality 
of the world set in because the reality is that he loves this man. Let's let's keep it 100. But the reality of society is that he needs to pretend like he doesn't even know him. So, uh, of course, he starts complaining about things and it, it just really it, it was heartbreaking to just see like it was like a slow decline. Like he wakes up and he's happy. He's like, you made breakfast and you're just happy because I'm here. And then all of a sudden it's I don't like this. Why is it like this? Just starts complaining well, about everything. He got scared about his neighbor finding out. That's what triggered. That was his yeah, trigger. Exactly. Yeah. It's just like we we just had a great night with you. Right. Like, don't fuck this up. Right. I just felt so bad for Sammy. You Same. know, he's been so patient and he's trying so hard for this man. But I in keep... that moment, he took a stand. Yeah, I respect that. Same. Like, know your worth. I'm not doing this over and over again. <laughs> Sorry. But what what timing for Tick to catch them? Yeah. I again didn't see that coming. Jaw dropped. I appreciated that it came. Totally. Yeah, because cause I didn't see it, like, that being the moment. Mm-hmm. It made sense when it happened. I was like, oh, yeah, this would be the moment. when you. <laughs> but I appreciated when it came because we saw his reaction, which wasn't the best, but also the realization of just this toxic masculinity that's just been passed down. Not just passed down, but, but beaten down well, into yeah. tick. Yeah, and so it's just... And I mean, speaking of beatings, it's like, is it ever for the child? Because like Tick was having this moment of like, you know, I thought he was, he said he was doing, even in that moment, I thought he cared about me. He was doing it for me. And of course, children, we always think that like mm. when we're receiving beatings because mom knew I was being not, quote unquote, naughty. I deserved it. And I deserved it. And I needed to learn a lesson so I could become better. But are beatings ever really about the child? Mm. I feel like they're always about the parent. They're always about their trauma. They're always about their issues. I mean... Unfortunately, I learned that early on with my mom, Mm. like whenever because like I would hear stories from my grandmother saying how like you guys are such great kids. You don't do anything wrong. Like you get good grades. You don't like talk back to your parents. And I was just saying, so why am I getting beat? Like what's going Why am I getting spankings like African whoopings? And then I realized like as I like when I got to high school, I was like, my mom is traumatized from her upbringing. Mm. And so (laughs) she's just putting it down on me and wanting me to not be who she was growing up. Mm. And it's just like, wow. It sucks that Tick had to realize that then. Do you know what I mean? Because that could have saved him like a lot of trouble. Yeah, and again, I'm not excusing Tick's language because that that did hurt. Yeah, But you can see where he's coming from now. Exactly. And I mean, well, wait, what do you mean by that? Where Tick is coming from? Just in the sense of Mm. it was beaten into him to hate these people, gay people. Hmm. Like his dad beat him to not be soft right and then society okay. of course around him is also reinforcing that as well i can see that so it's like yeah what that, hatred is taught exactly yeah. exactly so again you know this image for some people of tick being this this great heroes again mm. we're, we're taking down a peg but we're also given some dimension to his character too exactly st louis my hometown it was cool they went to korea where i am now to go to St. Louis, where I came from. Mm-hmm. Listening to Tick talk to his friend mm. was really cool. It reminded me of talking to my my relatives, my aunts and, and grandmothers. I really miss them a lot. Yeah. When she said, like, Do you get, get some more mac and cheese. I was like, yes, ma'am. Like, I, <laughs> like vocally. <laughs> yes. I was like, that's right. Feed him. Yes. <laughs> and we saw the birthmark. Yes. Which is a new layer. I'm right. like, there's birthmarks? <laughs> Maybe we'll get a new... <laughs> episode with his mom right 
see what she went through. Maybe like Watchmen, where you kind of see where she came from or like where Angela's grandfather came from. Maybe yeah, the history of the birthmark. Maybe. He did go through the portal later. Mm-hmm. So And he did come out with some information. So maybe when he was there, he did see his mom. Maybe. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Maybe that's the episode that we're going to see next week. D's episode. I'm so geeked. Yes. But anyways, let's finish up with this one. Spades. <laughs> spades. Spades? When Letty was babysitting, they were playing spades. Ah. Y'all don't even make board. Black as fuck. Okay, you know what, sir? Uh-oh. So you're making... Um, so, okay, don't revoke my card. I don't know how to play spades. So here's the deal. Again, very African, very Caribbean households. Okay. I can play some dominoes, okay? okay? I don't know how to play spades. To balance this out, I also, (laughs) I cannot play dominoes. Okay. So, okay. All right, all right, all right. I can play some dominoes. (laughs) I was so happy about that scene, and then all, all of a sudden they were like, "When's Bobo coming back?" Mm. And that put a wet blanket on the whole scene. But I like that they're doing that. Yeah, I appreciate that they're doing that. Just yeah. like his mom was like, "No, open casket. We will keep bringing this child up, so y'all can remember." This episode is just so many cool things happen, and then immediately something bad happens. Like Sammy and my shows are about to have mm. breakfast. It's all great, and then cut the black light. <laughs> hey, let's play spades. Black as fuck moment, and then. Where's Bobo? The Black Plague. Bruh. Yeah. And at that moment, Letty and uh, Ruby, sorry, Letty and, yeah, Letty and Ruby, they reconnected. They finally um, talked everything out. But did they talk everything out? They still withheld things from each other. They did. You know? It was kind of like this spy versus spy kind Mm -hmm. of. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think she's a double agent now? Ruby? Because I'm sure Christina probably told her about the Ori now. She's probably looking for it. She's been manipulated for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Which sucks because it's like, girl, don't trust these white women now. But, you know, I mean, everybody got to learn sometime. And you know what? Actually, that brings. So, yeah, last episode, you had a PSA for everybody about just not injecting their own personal experiences on people when they are basically trying to um, work their own shit out. My PSA for this episode when it comes to Ruby and Christina and Letty. Um, when it comes to Ruby and Letty specifically, these these women and Hippolyta, when people show you who they are, believe them. And it's just for, for me, I just feel like we as women, especially black women, we see the red flags. We acknowledge women just in general can. But black women, we got that voodoo for you bitches. We can feel it. We know. And I feel like when you see those red flags, when the universe is telling you to walk away, when your gut is saying this is wrong, you need to follow that. And sometimes we want to give the benefit of the doubt. We want to say, oh, well, I mean, she did give me that one potion and let me, you know, fuck up that white man. And like, oh, well, I mean, he did give me a kiss on the forehead this morning. And like, no, hell to the you. And when people show you who they are believe them it will save you so much trouble but that's just my psa that's all i had to say yeah i feel you (laughs) well let's get to the the main event Mm. which was hippolyta's journey first off i really liked how they visualized her calculations while she was trying to solve the the gateway i was like come through hidden figures all right right." (laughs) and it just makes you think of all the women and like men like people of color who just were not allowed into that space because mm, of their race. Right. And again, right when we get the good news of her opening the portal, what happens? 
the Captain cops show Lancaster's up. cops show up. <laughs> yeah. But Hippolyte was, was about that life, though. Mm. No hesitation. None. Cap. <laughs> but holy shit. And how, wait, loophole. How did Tick get there? He was in St. Louis. She was in Kansas. How did he get there? So far, how did he know she was there when Letty called and was like, I think Hippolyta knows that we're full of shit. And he's like, damn it. That means she's in danger. How did he get from St. Louis to Kansas to kick some ass? I don't know. Right. Again, I'll give him the blight. <laughs> well, like, whatever. I wonder also <laughs> if there's a time loop, which I'll get to a bit a little bit later on, a time mm. loop that maybe he was sent there mm. during this whole mm. thing. But we'll get to that a little okay. bit later. But holy shit. Uh, she got sent to another world. No. Af- no. I don't think it was another world. I don't think it was another world. Okay. Talk because, I'm sorry. Talk so, okay, so the coordinates, again, the two coordinates that were in the the orrery, mm-hmm. this, those two coordinates remain the same. They're always the same. It's the third coordinate that changes. So when she leaves to go through that time loop, she goes through and comes back to Earth at a different, different time, time, the right. future. I'm right. And so... <laughs> I'm tripping. You're right. You're right. So I think... Because I had to Google it because I was like, what did she do? And so that's why I had to write down. I think it was, it reminded me of, what's it called? What's it called? Rick and Morty. Um, they believe in the many worlds theory. I think that's what it is. It was the me- like there's many dimensions, many times where things are different. And I think that's, she went through same coordinates, same place in Kansas, landed in the future where she met Beyonce. And she did. <laughs> I liked how she... I mean, again, when she saw that lady, I mm. uh, yeah, my my jaw dropped. I was like, "What? What? What are we doing now?" Because you know, because Garnet from Steven Universe. <laughs> every episode is like a a different genre, and this went straight to Afrofuturism. Yes, and it was it was amazing. I was living for it, and I love that Hippolyta didn't panic too much. She just started mm-hmm. calculating again, trying to figure out a way to get out of here. Yeah, but you're not in a prison. Yeah, I oh, I wrote down exactly what she said. You are not in a prison. Where do you want to be? Name yourself. What's interesting in that case, though, she she threw her around. Mm-hmm. Like, how are you going to tell her you're not in prison and then throw her around? Like, it's not a really good way to sell <laughs> sell this. You're trying to give me enlightenment, but you're kicking my ass. I right. don't understand. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, Rafiki hitting Simba in the head. It's like, dude, like, are you, are you really trying to teach me here? Or provoke you? Don't don't stop it. So, okay, so you mentioned that. So when I was majoring in theater. One of the classes that we had to do was improv. Mm-hmm. And I suck at improv because I'm so analytical. And my teacher, it came around to me and I had to say something. And of course, my analytical brain, I wanted to think. And she said, no, and hit, like she had this huge stick and hit it on the ground and it scared the shit of me. She said, say whatever comes out of the, the out of your fucking mouth. And I just blurted out something stupid and everybody <laughs> laughed. But that was the point. It's like to provoke, don't think about it, just at the top of your head. What the fuck do you want? Who are you? Name yourself. Stop thinking. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I got from it. <laughs> no, totally. And for me, she thought she was in prison, mm. but in fact, she was trying to break out to go back to the prison mm-hmm. of her former world. Yeah. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Just many powerful lines in this in this whole scene. That this whole the rest of the show. Yeah, yeah. You know, she was with Josephine Baker mm. and Frida Kahlo. I felt like they found a smart way to lynch me without a noose. Mm-hmm. powerful line yeah and it's hinted at that not only was hippolyta shrieking her intelligence for that life back with george but also 
possibly her sexuality as well. Oh, maybe. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I did get that feeling. Yeah. I it, did when she was with Josephine because Josephine Baker was bisexual and very free. And But for me, like what that whole thing was, it, uh, for me, it kind of provoked the realization of how, especially now, how people of color, especially black Americans, are not only traveling more, but um, residing overseas. And that's what Josephine Baker did. She not, she didn't only find her fame, but she found herself. She found her freedom when she left America and moved to Paris. Mm. And she felt she was free to be bisexual. She was free to fight for the French Revolution. She was free to do what she wanted to do. And I really felt like Hippolyta resonate with that. And then not to take it back, but just when Hippolyta was driving to Kansas and she saw Bessie Stringfield yeah. on the road, I thought that was it. Like, just like, it's just such a symbol of free, a black woman freedom. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yes. I just like it was like a kind of like letting her know, hey, sis, you're about to be free. <laughs> yeah. Like, I just loved that. I'm, oh. yeah, and I hear that, too. Like, sometimes I'll see even on Twitter, like some black people will make jokes, like black Americans make jokes about like, like when when are flights coming back so I can leave the country? Like, just as a joke. And I'm like, no, like I, I did. So yeah. <laughs> I'm fine here. <laughs> Most of my adult life has been here. I've been here since. 2008. Like mm. I was here before Obama got elected. That's how long I've been here. Yeah. So yeah, let's get back to the show. Sorry. <laughs> you could know. I was. I was a good. I was a good tangent. I like when they got to. Uh, she was listing off people she hated, mm-hmm. and then she paused. And as soon as she paused, I was like, she's talking about George. And you know, Baker wasn't wasn't letting it go. He's like, who else do you hate? Mm-hmm. And uh, then we got to the tribal training. Yeah. Which what are you was, gonna do with all that anger? And we have a clip for that. Uh, the the trainer's dialogue. When you fall to the ground in defeat, you may find yourself asking, why am I here? Why should I bother getting up? What I know now, he is a great warrior and I cannot win. Well, I will tell you why you're here and why you must get up. You are here because you did not believe them. Your whole life, they told you you were free. And when they said that they meant you were free, to cook their food, free to raise children, their children, Free to work for them. They even lied to you and told you you were free to run the world. But did it steal their world? You are here because you knew that all they offer was the freedom that a well-kept slave could ever ask for. Now I cannot tell you what true freedom is. You have got to find that for yourself. We've talked about different schools of feminism on this show. Wonder Woman's exclusivity versus the integration of Black Panther, which I prefer. It has problems, but it's better than, I think it's better than Wonder Woman's thing. But this was something totally different. Mm. There were no men in that scene at all, except for the white men that they slayed. Mm. I thought that was really great. That was really cool. Again, just like I want to see Hippolyta's main story, like a prequel to where she came from, I want to spend time in this world. Mm. What is this all about? (laughs) Give me a show, a miniseries. Like, give me a show about that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the purpose of the Josephine Baker scenes had to reveal to Hippolyta what she could have been and start fully understanding her own anger. Mm. And this tribal scene challenged her to stop being afraid of being free. It's just, I just love the layers. Like, they just had to break her down yeah. and build her back up. Exactly. I think she was she was looking for a place where she could just name herself anything and just be anything. Yeah. Because she did just really make herself small. For so long. Yeah. the That one shot of her cutting right into the man's privates. Ooh, I felt that. 
my favorite was the can opener. Mm. The can opener kill. She mm-hmm. like dragged the sword around the dude's neck yeah. and then and just then kicked popped him from behind. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, badass. <laughs> I actually learned that move with a, a Filipino weapon, a karambit, or you could use a knife too, but mm-hmm. really cool to see that on screen. Really cool. And this is my favorite use of music so far, this rock song. Mm. I forgot who it was by. Um, Mel said on social media that she had this song, I believe, on vinyl, and she lost her shit when she heard it. <laughs> but because it was such a fantastical element, this music felt right in place for mm-hmm. me. So I, I love that. And her victory monologue, again, was incredible. Yeah. We have a, a clip for that, too. We are here. Because we did not believe them when they told us our rage was not ladylike. We did not believe them when they said our violence goes too far. We did not believe them when they said the hatred that we feel for our enemies is not godlike. They say that to women like us because they know what happens when we are free. Free to hate when we must. Free to kill when we must. Free to bring destruction when we must. That is our freedom, that is our prayer, no matter what they think of us after we grind them into the dust. That is our love! I just feel like with the victory monologue, I felt it was just another layer of her reaching this enlightenment when it comes to herself and reaching this higher power um, and just realizing how not, yes, the white people have kept us captive, but we've allowed them to. And we've been stifling ourselves because we are more than what they think of us. We are we are more than the world that they tell us that we're supposed to live in. Mm. And that when she owns who she is in all facets, because I feel like it's very easy to just, when it comes to black people, the whole episode for me, just when it comes to black people, was just realizing about like, um, just owning and walking in who we are completely and totally, and that we are not a monolith, and that we do have multiple facets of ourselves. So she can be um, this woman who's free dancing on stage to be who she is. She can be this warrior, Hippolyta, who actually was like an Amazonian warrior, you know? And then she can also transition into George's wife and Dee's mother. And just being be a, all of it. A ma- amazing mathematician. Yeah. That's a good. That's a great point. Great point. And of course, the last transition is for her to confront her lover and herself. Mm-hmm. That was deep. When I heard her excitement talking about her dream, mm-hmm. I thought about her dad. And again, I talked about how they seem to have a relationship where he always encouraged her to be excited about knowledge and to explore herself. And I think back to her story about naming the comet. And in retrospect, you can see her light was dimmed at that point mm-hmm. in comparison to her very proud daughter who was mm-hmm. shouting it out in front of all these white folks who could have, you know, they could have... Her light hasn't been stifled yet. Exactly. Exactly. And that's when he said the triggering words. You chose to call yourself my wife. Mm-hmm. She did. I'm glad that George stopped the excuses and took responsibility quickly, that they didn't drag that out. And this is, again, I think, very important for men to see, especially here that you should aspire to have a true partnership encouraging each other to be your best selves as opposed to giving someone else for your own aspirations. Mm. That was very powerful. So for me, just a little kind of like a 
and I don't know, maybe it could just be me just looking for things. But in the scene, so first we first meet Hippolyta in that exact same position, in that exact same bed, asking George the exact same question. What are you looking at? And so it's interesting. I felt like it just kind of, for me, reaffirmed the whole like many worlds theory where it's just like she's gone to the same time, the same place, but it's a different timeline. And I want to say, I feel like I saw a gun wound on his stomach. I could just be looking at crazy. But I want to say I feel like I saw a gun wound. So maybe it's another timeline where George didn't die. And they're able to talk about these things and talk about um, what he went through at that um, at the Artem Manor. And she can talk about what she went through at this place. But then, like, when we met her in the first conversation that they were having, she was begging her husband She was begging her business partner to allow her to be a discoverer, what she always knew she was. And he stifled her. He said, no, you can't. You got to stay here with Dee. You got to be safe. The road is dangerous. It's not safe for a black woman, which in fairness is true. But she's begging to take to be who she really is. And he inadvertently was like, no, you can't do that. I need you to stay here and be my wife and cook and clean and he helped make her small and it was very good for her to be able to tell him that and be able to not only tell him about himself but tell him about herself and have him realize that and I don't I don't know it just for me that whole scene just even the pauses first of all Anjanua Ellis was acting her ass off this entire episode. Mm, but I, I really felt like it was amazing because he, he was attracted to the fire that was in her. And then over time, he just helped dull it. And which is a, something for black women. It's like pe- people, not just black men, but people in general are just attracted to the fire within us. And then over time, they want to dull it. And with just his small acknowledgement and his sincere apology, she was able to say, I'm Hippolyta, discoverer. She was able to move on to the next level. And I just want to say just for black men, just for any men, but just black men specifically, that's all we want. Just cherish us, nurture us, protect us, push us, but don't stifle us because we won't make ourselves smaller just to make you feel larger. We're never going to do that. So stop trying. That's all I got. Totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. I had a different take on that. Not mm-hmm. on, on those points, mm-hmm. but in the, in the sense of time travel. Mm-hmm. So I actually wondered, you could have a mini worlds theory, mm-hmm. but did she just redo, did she just go back in time and put herself into the woman that we saw originally? And she got closure with her real husband at that time before Tick arrived because they never left the bedroom so Mm. they could have just rehabbed the conversation before tick arrived Mm. in good timing there's a new report out i don't know if you i post this on the facebook page but scientists say that you can time travel back in time scientists say that you can go back in time and the timeline will correct itself in order to give you the motivation to go back in the first place Mm. so if she went I mean, she went into the future, mm-hmm. but she also went back in time, mm-hmm. possibly to the same place, mm-hmm. talked it out with George, but George still had one last hurrah to go save his brother. It wasn't really about exploring the whatever. It was about mm-hmm. saving his brother, mm-hmm. and he got shot. So the motivation to kind of discover her husband's murderer would never change. Mm-hmm. It would still motivate her to do what she did. 
So I'm curious if they may play with that yeah. later on. That's Yeah, that's a possibility. I just, for the life of me, and, and maybe it could just be that man, a man's scar, a mole, I don't know. But I swear on everything I saw a gunshot wound on his stomach. <laughs> I swear on everything. Okay. So I could be wrong. But like that, when I saw that, I was like, wow, they're giving her a moment. Like he didn't die. They're here. They're able to just hash everything out. And I just thought that was really sweet. And then for them to transition into after being able to say that, after being able to tell tell him honestly who she was and claim that she is a discoverer, then she becomes what Dee always saw her as, Orthea Blue. And then they travel together. Their spaceship looks like Woody. They the planets look like it does in the com like the comics that D writes. Oh yeah, Good like catch. they meet animals. I'm sorry, aliens. And she's able to become what her daughter has. The fire that her daughter always saw is reignited. To add to your point, the space journey. For those who don't know, the monologue while they're exploring is from Sun Ra who is a very famous jazz composer, poet, and he was a pioneer of Afrofuturism. I just thought that was such a perfect bow for this episode, similar to the Judy Garland monologue from Meet Me in Daegu. Mm -hmm. Whitey on the Moon. There's just had very good, the uh, one from uh, the spoken word from To Colored Girls. They always just hit right there. If only the music was as good. You're the only one who feels this way. I, I'm you not. You guys, listen, if you actually agree with Brendan, how about you like leave him some comments? Comment on his Instagram, comment on his Facebook, because I don't see you, so I think I'm right. How about that? Meet me outside. I mean, trust black women, but I'm not sure you're right on this one. <laughs> you're crazy, but oh well. <laughs> I mean, I am crazy, but it's not for this reason. Okay, okay. How can I fit everything that I am now into that place? Ooh. That's how I feel here. Mm. So a mutual friend of ours, um, who's also another person of color, um, but they're Latin, They, uh, I remember when I first met them, they were kind of like going over in their minds about how um, people, when they move here to Korea, because um, I think you and I can both say, like, there's a strange group of people who kind of move here sometimes, but they were saying that people, they'll meet people when they move here to Korea and they'll kind of reimagine themselves. Mm. They'll create these whole like timelines or like experiences um, here in Korea as if they're, um, and he, he didn't understand that. He's like, I don't get why, why people are doing that. And I feel, I kind of understood it at the time. I was like, well, yeah, I get like why somebody want to kind of have this new life, uh, like, a, a, like a fresh start mm-hmm. essentially. But like with Hippolyta, I completely get that experience. It made me understand more about how it's completely understandable how somebody can move abroad, specifically black people can move somewhere abroad and just feel free yeah and figure themselves out so like i feel that way when she said that that hit me deep when she was like how can i fit in all that i am back there knowing full well the only reason why she's going back is she sees that light in d she does not want d to diminish it so d needs her she needs to go back but again every she's enlightened now she has true freedom she knows what it really means how can how can I go back to the USA? How can she go back to Chicago? Completely made sense to me. In St. Louis, our transportation is horrible. So just mm-hmm. the basic freedom of movement being in Seoul is mm. so liberating for me. Mm. Being able to just be loud and not be afraid that a cop's going over here and just yeah. woo woo pull Sir. over. Sir. Being able to wear whatever I want, a hoodie, 
and not have Sir, any fear. Walk in a store knowing full well I'm just like browsing and nobody's like following me because they want to make sure I'm not stealing. They're following because they genuinely want to help my ass. Or they're going to falsely, <laughs> you know, right. press the button and call the cops or no. some crazy white <laughs> militia gun toting asshole is going to come in there and, you no, know, nothing. 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 <laughs> so Korea's I. is not perfect, but I'm not going back to America. <laughs> yeah. And my family's like, why don't you come home, baby? And I'm like, guys, you really don't understand how it feels out here. Mm, catch me in Europe after I'm done here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are, we're not just saying Korea is the only place. I mean, no. I've lived in Japan. I've lived mm-hmm. in Thailand, too. I've been to Taiwan. There's so many places where you just feel yeah. there isn't that burden to look over your shoulder. Mm. It's just gone. Do you think that Hibbalai is going to just go back and bring D with her? And just, didn't that be it? Because who mm. else does she really have or need there? It's not like she cares that much about Tick. Fair. I don't know. I don't know what Hippolyta's next move is because when it ended, we didn't see her go back. We saw Tick come back. Exactly. So it's like, I don't know what her next move is. I don't know if she came before, she got back before him or he got back after her. I don't know. Um, I don't know what her next move is, but I do know that Dee's going to have an adventure for sure because where did they find her comic book? So that's going to be something. Yeah. You know, we talked about how Tick may have been transported to a different place, mm. I wonder if they sent Hippolyta directly to Chicago instead of going back through that portal. Yeah, I think Tick went through, again, back to the, my theory, I think he went to same place, different time, but sorry, different timeline, to where George didn't die because the book that he came out with was Lovecraft Country written by George Freeman. Mm. So I'm like, I feel like he went to a different timeline where he didn't die. And he was able to recount everything that they went through and put it in a book. So I don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. And next episode's going to be cray. It's going to be a good one. All right, that about wraps it up for us. Sorry. This was longer than I thought, which is good. It's good. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. We'll be back next week. We're gonna have a long vacation to gather our thoughts on other things. But of course, you can find us on. Facebook at B-L-E-R-D-U-P. We are on Instagram at B-L-E-R-D-P-R-U-P. And we are on Twitter at B-L-E-R-D-U. Check us out on Blurred.com and their awesome merch. Really, it's re- I'm not just saying that because they're my partners. They actually have some really good stuff from stickers to hoodies, shirts, pants, pins, etc. And Miss Jade, where can they find you? Y'all can still follow me on Instagram. I am at at Jade, J-A-D-E, Chanel, C-H-A-U-N-E-L-L-E. Please follow me, like my pics, because I'm cute. (laughs) Yes, she is. Oh, my God, thank you. (laughs) All right, y'all. Peace. Bye. You find Earth boring, just the same old, same thing. Come on, time up without a space, ways incorporated. If you find Earth boring, just the same old, same thing. Come on, sign up without a space, ways incorporated. If you find Earth boring, just the same old, same thing. Come on, sign up without a space, ways incorporated. Just the same old, same thing Come on, sign up without a space Wave incorporated